Five ways that SEOs should be using log files with Jerry White. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all in one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. How are you taking advantage of log files to improve your SEO? That's what we're going to be talking about today with a man with over 20 years of experience in the SEO industry, working at brands and agencies including the BBC, Just Eat and Rise at Seven. A warm welcome to the Insert SEO podcast, Jerry White. Hey, glad to be here. Hey, Jerry, good to have you on. Or you can find Jerry by searching Jerry White on LinkedIn. So, Jerry, should every SEO be using log files? Uh, no. Um, I know that sounds controversial when I sort of say, you know, log files have got huge amounts of information, but honestly, a lot of the time it's diminishing returns. And often you can generally find a lot of information before you go into log files. What I mean by that is if you take a look in Google Search Console information, there's huge amounts of information there. I guess when I've been looking into log files is basically when I've almost exhausted a lot of other places first. I always recommend crawling a site using anything from Screaming Frog through to whichever kind of desktop crawler you've got through to lots of other tools kind of things out there and then kind of looking at Google Search Console before you start to look at log files. The reason I say that and the reason I sound almost anti-log files when I'm actually kind of going to be talking about how useful they are is the fact that they're actually quite challenging to work with initially and it does take a little bit of skill and knowledge and, and experience to really get your hands onto them and even getting access to them. But I mean one great thing about today is the fact that now we actually have more and more access to log files than almost ever before. Initially, when I, this is going to make me sound old, but when I started out, we didn't actually have Google Analytics. We didn't have analytics software like we have today. Log file analysis was actually how we looked at how people visited websites. Now we never look at log files really for how people look at websites unless we're kind of doing something with InfoSec or we're doing something to kind of diagnose something really weird and wonderful. But actually, a lot of the time, we have much better analytics software. This might change because actually one weird thing is the fact that um, a lot of websites can't track how many people go to a 404 page because a lot of the time you never click, I'll accept cookies on a 404 page. And so suddenly log files are coming back again to kind of go to answer some very strange questions like that. But the main reason that I'm talking about log files today is basically for the SEO purposes. And so, yes, if you've kind of got problems with large sites, if you've got a large e-commerce website, if you've got a international, multilingual, huge site with faceted navigation, then log files are something that definitely should be taken into account and definitely should be looked at down the line as soon as possible. So today you're sharing five ways that SEO should be using log files. So starting off with number one, seeing how Google looks at your site. Yeah, so Google is is fairly unpredictable. It's almost like an unruly child. It's 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 strange actually, because although I say, you know, we can look at sites and we can use crawling tools to kind of how look at how Google should be looking at the site, we're often surprised to find out that Google's kind of got obsessed with one set of pages or going down a kind of strange route somewhere. Or more recently, one of the things that we found at a supermarket that I've been working with for the last year called Oda, um, we found that the Google bot has been looking very much at kind of the the analytics configuration and and creating artificial links from it. So Google's kind of finding broken links, and for a long time I was trying to figure out why it was finding tens of thousands of four or fours 
which were not on the page at all. But it turns out it's been looking at the log file, kind of the, not the log file, sorry, the analytics kind of configuration and, and creating a link from that. So we're looking at how much of an impact that's had. And if we're looking at the fact that Google is finding all of these 404s, that might not be a massive problem, but now we want to know is how much time it's spending on those 404s. And if we fix this one tiny problem, will it mean that the crawling of the rest of the site will increase by 20, 30%? Or basically, what's the opportunity if we fix it there? So yeah, looking at why Google's kind of looking at the site like that and what it's finding that it really shouldn't be finding. The other thing that we often look at is parameters. I mean, I don't know if you know, but uh, SEO folks, we're we like here always to link through to the canonical version of the page. What I mean is that, you know, there's often multiple versions of a page. There's sometimes they've got some kind of internal tracking. Sometimes they've got external tracking. There are so many ways in which we can kind of link through to a page. And often a, a, a product, for instance, can sit in multiple places in a site. So, for instance, a good example of this is I worked on a site which was uh, Magento. And every page sat under, sorry, every product seemed to sit under every single category almost. So... It was amazing when we found out that, you know, there was like 20 versions of every product and every product was crawlable. And so from there, we knew that basically Google was also spending a huge amount of time crawling through the site. And what's interesting is if you remove a product, Google will kind of go, oh, but I've got 19 other versions of this product, 18 versions, 17, 16. And so it will take a while for the actual page to kind of almost disappear if you if you use a 404 or something like that, because of the way in which Google works. So basically, Google will kind of go, I know this is a canonical version of this page, but if you remove the canonical version, then it will kind of go, oh, well, if the canonical's kind of removed, then I'll start to use different ones. And this is the kind of information that Logfile gives us, basically the, the ability for us to look at the site in the way in which Google is. And it also allows us to kind of look at things like status codes. A great example of this one is there's, there's status codes which says, I have not been modified. And for the life of me right now, I can't think what it is. I should have written this down before this podcast. But basically... These, the I've not been modified actually massively improves the crawling rate of a website. And when I find out that, you know, the the uh, this was something which Google was respecting, it meant what I can do was kind of go, okay, all of the images, all of the products, all of these bits and pieces that don't get modified very regularly, if we can use a not modified, then we can improve the speed at which Google's crawling, the effectiveness and the, reduce the load on the server, we can then significantly improve the way in which Google is finding all of the different products. And uh, I don't know. Three or four, thank you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was I was thinking it was like a three o six or something like that, but I remember that's not that's what a car I used to have many years ago, um, Persia. Um, but basically, the the way in which Google kind of looks at stuff, what we want and what server admins want and what everybody wants is the server to be as kind of fast and as efficient as possible. Again, going back to the log files side of it, you know, nowadays we can't use log we couldn't use log files at all effectively for many, many years because with CDNs, you'd often find that there'd be multiple places at which a page would be hit. And the CDN often didn't have a log file itself. So we'd be looking at all these different places and kind of going, okay, so how much load is there on this server? How much load is on that server? What about the image? And we try and piece everything together and log files will be in different formats. So now with CDNs, we can actually start to understand the effectiveness of a CDN. So suddenly things like page speed is massively impacted and improved by the fact that if we use log files, we can start to understand the fact that the image, for instance, 
by canonicalization of images. So if there's one image being used across multiple pages, as long as the URL is consistent, the CDN works and Google crawls it better. So yeah, there's so many different ways in which log files now are kind of really helping us improve page speed, caching, and, and, and basically serving users and search engines much more efficiently. I'm reviewing your five points here that you were going to share, and there are different elements of them that you've <laughs> shared already. You remind me of um, someone that um, I can just ask one question to, and they give me a 15-minute podcast episode just like that without asking any further questions. Um, so there's one person that can probably do that even more than you, and that's probably Dwayne Forrester. Uh, Dwayne and I have joked about um, him doing that, me just asking him one question and me walking off and um, just leaving him to <laughs> to share the content for the rest of the episode. But um, you talked about parameters certainly a little bit. Um, I don't know if you touched upon number three, which is discovering if there are subdomains that are consuming crawl budget that shouldn't be. So this actually goes back to Just Eat. At one point, we discovered that for the actual website was replicated on multiple different subdomains, and all of these were crawlable. Now, interestingly, these had no visibility according to tools like uh, Systrix or SEMrush or whoever. And the reason that they didn't was because it was all canonicalized back again. So when we found out that although these duplicates were out there, Google was spending something like 60 to 70% of its budget crawling these subdomains, and because of the way in which these weren't cached in the same way because of the CDNs and other technology, this was actually really creating a lot of server load. So it was something which was fascinating for us because we were kind of going, okay, well, we were just ignoring this as a problem that needs to be fixed up sometime in the very future. Because we knew about the problem, we knew there was a kind of issue, and I'd kind of spoken about it, but I'd deprioritized it. Until we started looking at the log files and went, wow, actually Google's really spending a lot of energy, time, and resource here. How much server load is it creating? How much of an impact was it? And we couldn't actually understand how much of a server load it was because of the way in which the server was kind of not able to interpret the different requirement, um, different kind of like sources. So it was fascinating that then when we got the log files, we could actually go, oh, well, actually, if we improve this, we improve the reliability of the website by a considerable amount. So, so yeah, we knew about the subdomains. We just didn't know how much of a problem it was until we started looking into the log files. And then suddenly it was like, oh, wow, this needs to be fixed up like ASAP. And it was it was one of those things that we knew how to fix it up. It was just prioritization. It was down the bottom of the queue, number 22, and then it was bumped up to number two. And you touched upon canonicalization, but um, you also say that um, specifically JavaScript and CSS files can be an issue. So why is that? Mm, so one of the things that we often do is we break the cache by adding a parameter to the CSS file. The reason that we do this is what happens if you use a CDN or something similar is the fact that whenever you update the CSS and you're updating something, you're creating new pages or something, then the problem there is the fact that you have a, a CSS file which is cached and new pages won't be able to use it. And we have long cache times on all of these different JavaScripts and CSS files. So within the page, as soon as we add something which needs the JavaScript or the CSS to be updated, you just change the parameter within it slightly. And so basically from there, what we had to make sure was all of the different servers were using the same parameter version going forwards. And that was something where if you're working across multiple different teams, multiple different websites in effect, that you know, this this one basically the one bit of JavaScript that powered the entire thing, we always made sure it was the right version. 
And Logfiles was one way that we kind of made sure that all of the different pages were consistently hitting the right JavaScript version because maybe we had to update an API key or something similar. There were so many different ways in which we had to do it. And this was something which was a massive task for the developers. So one of the things that we were looking at in the log files was, was the old one being hit, where it was being hit from, and, and could we fix it up? And again, we also found that, you know, there's many different ways in which you could write the path to the JavaScript file. So for instance, you know, it, was it in a subdomain? Was it, did we use a different host name? Because actually, interestingly, if you work across multiple different websites, you often find that there's different URLs or different domain names that actually access the same server. And often if you're using a CDN or using a subdirectory or something, then sometimes it can be very, very inconsistent. And again, from a user point of view, if you're hitting that same JavaScript file six or seven different ways within a journey, then you're loading it up six or seven different ways. And whilst that might not seem like a lot, cumulatively, that actually adds megabytes to your kind of journey. And that, of course, slows down the whole experience and it, it makes the servers less efficient and there's much more to it. So basically, yeah, ensuring that the right version of the JavaScript, the CSS and other bits and pieces are always being hit. And also making sure that there's no reason for the JavaScript to be hit in with parameters or something. There's so many ways in which spider traps can be created, which include the JavaScript files where, for instance, you know, something kind of gets tagged into it where maybe they don't use the right... Um, absolute uh, reference to the JavaScript. So it's kind of located in a different directory to other times. So it's surprising all the different ways in which you can spot when JavaScript is being loaded up slightly differently by multiple different pages. So yeah, it's a very simple one, but it's, it's surprisingly expensive when it comes to kind of an analysis. And also ensuring that response codes are being delivered in a manner that you would want. Uh, an example of that is 302s um, sometimes being seen or not being seen by Google that uh, should or shouldn't be. So why would that happen? Well, again, we always visit web pages using the same browser, the same technology, the same kind of experience and everything. I mean, we, we say that, but I mean, I try to make sure that I use other tools. I use, as everybody does, a screaming frog. I try to use all sorts of bits and pieces. But we always pretend that we're kind of like a computer. So we never pretend we're Googlebot. We never pretend that we're all of these different things. So if you look at how Googlebot's accessing a particular file from a different IP address, so a lot of technology like Cloudflare and things, if you pretend you're Googlebot uh, and you try and access it using Screaming Frog, it kind of goes, I know no, you're not Googlebot, I know you're actually this. And so it treats you differently to how it would treat um, Googlebot truly. And so often servers are configured to kind of pre-render stuff, to do all sorts of bits and pieces. And it's just making sure that everybody gets the right response code from the server at that point. And it seems like it's kind of quite simple, but actually when you're scaling up across international, when you've got geo-redirects in, or somebody's put geo-redirects in, might not be you, might be kind of a different team, somebody, um, basically finding out that, you know, if a user or, or a search engine can't access a particular page because somebody's put in a geo-redirect to say that if you visit this website from Spain, then go and load this subdirectory up so it can't therefore look at like the root versions or the alternative versions. That's why things like response codes being correct is absolutely critical. And it's surprising how often you kind of go through these things and you, you assume everything is correctly set up because time and time again, 
we know how it should be set up. We give this to somebody, somebody interprets it, another person implements it, and somebody else kind of goes through it. And then somebody else clicks a button on the CDN which says, oh, we can geolocate somebody at this particular place. So it's not so much the fact that any one person's done something wrong, it's so much that there's something down the chain, down the route, which has effectively broken it slightly. Let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity that you'd recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? So my favorite kind of thing at the moment is I have a very basic Google Data Studio dashboard, which allows me to take a look at what I call the low-hanging fruit. Now, everybody hates buzzword bingo, but this is my kind of thing where I kind of look at things which are not quite ranking as well as they should do. So I look at all of the keywords where they're ranking for a particular set of pages or recipes or products or something. So a good example is I'm working across tens of thousands of products at the moment. I look at all the, the pages which have got high impressions, but they're maybe at position six and I can work them up to position three. And nine times out of 10, you can do this by just making sure the title tag's improved and the internal linking's improved. And so very simple stuff to find out which of the keywords with the high search volume can be just bumped up a little bit more to increase the click-through. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Jerry by searching Jerry White on LinkedIn. Jerry, thanks so much for being on the InSearch SEO podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for your time. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com.